Welcome to 2819. I'm Sandra Demas. And I'm Daniel Almaguer. And as Thanksgiving approaches, we want to take time to thank you, our viewers, for watching and supporting this show for five years. Five years. Yes. That's a long time. I know. And YouTube life, that's like forever. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> as a thank you to our 2019 fans, such as Charles Morris, Justin, Jill, William Craig, Laura Jolly, Matt's Pub, and many more of you. Yes, we're thanking our viewers. We want to also give some special words of encouragement that came from some of our viewers. So thank you, Bob and Julie, on our Why is the Universe So Large? You, you left a wonderful comment. You said, it really touched my spirit when Sandra, hey, that's me, and Jeff were talking about God's purpose for the size of the universe. We may be small, but not insignificant in his eyes. That's right. Thank you for the uplifting message as I start my morning. Oh, wow, what a beautiful comment. I know. That's so nice. And it's so true. Like, yes, we are tiny, but we're not insignificant, yes. not in God's eyes. And thank you to Hayes Love You, who commented on the video, Christianity Among Other Worldviews. They said, thank you for sharing. They're encouraging about the mission missionaries to Hong Kong and commonalities that we can have with the people there to bring hope in Christ. And thank you also to Cheryl Luhi. Um, we had interviews with our unbelievable host, Justin Brierly, mm -hmm. one of our ministry partners from across the pond. He's so awesome. <laughs> and Cheryl writes, RTB is a wonderful resource. I regularly share it with my friends, especially those seeking scientific answers to support their faith. Oh, I love this. Mm -hmm. RTB strengthens my faith, but it also enables me to give others a reasons for the faith that I, that I have. A big thank you to RTB. Please keep up the ministry that you're doing. Oh, I love that. And we will keep doing what yes, we're doing. Yes, absolutely. It's so great to hear. It's so encouraging that mm -hmm. we really are making a difference and we're helping these yeah. people go forth and share the news about yes. the gospel. Well, speaking of, let's talk about what we're going to provide today for... I forgot that we're even doing an episode. We are. We're doing an episode. <laughs> yeah. In Everyday Apologetics, we'll hear from Leslie Wickman on encouraging women in science and faith. And in Science Faith Connection, Jeff Swank will talk with Jim Painter on celebrating by feasting. Yum. That's the best way to celebrate. I know. <laughs> I love food. First up will be Culture Talk. Sandra will be interviewing George Haraxon on the topic, What is the Fruit of the Spirit? So let's go ahead and check it out. Now it's time for Culture Talk, where we talk about culturally relevant topics you can use to start conversations about your faith. And I'm joined today with pastor and theologian, George Raxon. Fair enough. <laughs> well, former pastor, current theologian, <laughs> ethicist, lots yes, of yeah. things. Um, but I think really your pastoral background is um, important here because we're going to be talking about, well, really the season and what that leads us to. So yeah. we're in the Thanksgiving season. And as this time approaches, it's a good time to kind of reflect on what we're grateful for mm -hmm. and to really think about kind of how we show up. Um, and it makes me think of the fruit of the spirit. So I would mm -hmm. love to talk with you about what that is. Well, I think lots of people say fruits of the spirit. Yeah. And I think it was Jonathan Edwards or some recognized, or he's one person that recognized that it actually, it's singular, mm -hmm. fruit of the spirit. Yeah. So that's a it's an integrated set of virtues mm -hmm. that I would say are cultivated in us as we engage God in his gospel, yeah. right? So that would be engaging right beliefs, mm -hmm. right practices, and having the right affections, mm -hmm. compassion, love, those types yeah. of things help form that fruit or that inner character. 
I think because I'm such a visual person, I think of like grapes and the yeah. the whole thing of them makes it up as grapes, but there's all individual pieces to it. Mm -hmm. So it is one thing of grapes. One thing of grapes, yeah. Or um, you could think of uh, a, a big fruit and the, the, the seeds yeah. and then the, the flesh part on the inside, mm -hmm. but it's all united as one yes. fruit. One thing. So let's talk about the fruit singular. Mm -hmm. Um, of the spear, and then we read about that in Galatians in case anyone's not mm -hmm. sure, but can you um, explain what some of those fruits are? Yeah, fruit. Fruit. Sorry, sorry, my bad. <laughs> no, I just, that's what philosophers like to do. They listen to your words really carefully and they go, gotcha. Let's talk about the book of Revelations. Oh, <laughs> yeah, just no. no, it's great. Um, yeah, the fruit of the spirit, some, I like this, some commentators have, no, have noticed or remarked that instead of individuals, right, where you could actually sort of, the paragraph could go love colon, mm -hmm. and then love is described by those various mm -hmm. virtues, mm -hmm. self-control, goodness, mm -hmm. peace, joy, those uh, virtues. And it might be helpful for people to think about, when we're thinking about those things, not to think about them ab abstractly, mm -hmm. but well, what is character? Character mm -hmm. is kind of the sum total of your habits. I mean, yeah. think about your habits, good and bad, put them together, and that's kind of you. But a habit is something that you do, you tend to think think, feel, or do without thinking about it, mm -hmm. right? When you're cut off on the road, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Now, I know you have pre-made signs that say, bless you, brother. I'm, I'm praying for you. <laughs> bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> Other people <laughs> show different kinds of actions. Whatever you do, just second nature, we call mm -hmm. it, without thinking about it is kind of our, our habit. But yeah. that fruit are virtues. Those are habits of excellence mm -hmm. that are developed in us when we partner with God and, and his people. Some of those so you think about love, right? You mm -hmm. want to talk about them individually. Love, I would say, is a deep commitment to an imperfect person mm -hmm. to see God's goals met in their life. Mm, I like that. So that, yeah. and I want to refer to um, uh, Michael Wilkins over at uh, Talbot. He talks about this is where he picks some of it up. Mm -hmm. And I really like that definition. Mm -hmm. I use it in weddings and other places. Yeah. So I'm deeply committed to another person, and I recognize that they're imperfect. So that's why forgiveness is so important, and grace, and peace, and these other virtues. But I'm not managing your life. Mm -hmm. I'm partnering with God, with the Holy Spirit, to see what God is doing in your life, and I come alongside that. So I sort of resign as manager of your life. Mm -hmm. So love is that type of commitment, yeah. but it's gonna need those other virtues to function properly. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that's really helpful to to think of it not as what George wants or what yeah. Sandra wants, but what does God want in this person's life? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're flawed people, you know, so we're going to make mistakes. We're going to not be kind sometimes. Um, and so e expressing and demonstrating love to others, I think, is so vital, especially as we think of who we're representing mm -hmm. and um, to keep that representation good yeah so I think that you're you're giving a good picture of what it looks to, looks like to demonstrate that fruit um, Galatians also talks about um, the flesh mm -hmm. and like what are some of the things that we would see if we're allowing that to kind of take take over yeah I think it's important to remember that Paul the writer of Galatians when he uses the word flesh mm -hmm. he's not simply 
reducing it to physical actions mm-hmm. or physical disposition, though that's there, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's sort of disordered, you know, sexual impulses or something. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about a set of dispositions in our soul embedded in our body that move away from those virtues mm-hmm. or are left in tension with those. Mm-hmm. So uh, instead of having joy, mm-hmm. which I'm delighting in God, his beauty, the image of God in another person, I might become sorrowful mm-hmm. and even lead to despair. And that that disposition, when you don't have that perspective, when you react in a situation, you despair or you're in sorrow, and that leads mm-hmm. to various kinds of disorders and, and sin in our lives. Does, mm-hmm. does, does yeah. it come across? Yeah, I, I think that that's helpful. And, and I think when we talk about how we respond to things and that we might respond with despair, I mean, I've certainly had moments of despair. So is that something that, especially for those watching, if they're mm. like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling this right now, can we as Christians demonstrate some of those things and still be kind of considered a Christian. Yeah, yeah. And I, as a pastor, I was mm-hmm. always felt to be careful that mm-hmm. to leave some of that big judgment in yeah. God's hands. Yeah. Uh, but when people have a feeling of despair, that doesn't mean that their life is characterized by despair. Yeah. So the virtues we, we are talking about are supposed to be settled dispositions. Mm-hmm. They don't happen accidentally. Mm-hmm. So when it's talking, when Paul talks about people not inheriting the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. it's when you have a character that's settled in a, the opposite mm-hmm. uh, direction. Now, deep despair is considered a theological sin because you lack hope and the perspective of God in a situation. Uh, But just because you feel despairingly in a situation, a tragic accident, you lose someone, that doesn't mean that that's your settled character. So Mm -hmm. we want to be careful to make those distinctions and not treat people flippantly with their their, um, emotions. Oh, right. And and it's not for that reason that I ask, but really to encourage yeah, and I people. wasn't saying yeah. you were being flippant. <laughs> Wait so. a minute, George. No. <laughs> okay. Paul, Paul writes, <laughs> yeah. No, Paul writes also too about those who grow weary. And I think yes. we're in such a weird timeline um, last few years that it has been difficult for people to navigate this new mm. world in a sense. How do we engage in society and how do we get, engage within this culture and our personal, personal lives that may have changed? Um, so what word of encouragement do you offer people when they when they themselves or those they love are in this space right now of growing weary in demonstrating yeah. the fruit of the Spirit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul says don't grow weary. Mm-hmm. And we do mm-hmm. in, in this life. Uh, and I would if do like a thought experiment. Imagine a person in a parking lot and they're terribly hungry mm-hmm. and they're feeling weary from the hunger. Yet they don't recognize that they're sitting in a supermarket parking lot yeah. and they're giving away free food that yeah. day. They should, they should turn and see all the good that's available mm-hmm. there and, and receive it. And I think that's what happens sometimes in our life is we grow weary because of situations, imperfect people mm-hmm. in our lives. 
And we forget about the storehouses of grace that God has, like mm-hmm. that supermarket. And whether that's in God himself, but God uses other people too to help us not grow weary. That's why he's speaking to the church in that, that passage to a great degree. And he says, look, don't grow weary. And I think you point this out before. How do we carry each other's burdens? How do we carry those so that we don't grow weary? A lot of times we grow weary when we're solitary, Mm -hmm. when we go beyond our personal boundaries and we don't partner with others, Mm -hmm. or we lose sight of God's storehouses of of, of grace that's available for our life. Well, I think that's a good reminder for anyone who is feeling weary to make sure they're tapping into community and- Huge. And uh, leaning on others and for others to be aware of Hey, I see that you're growing weary, George. Let me, let me help you. You know, let me and it be also, a support. Yeah, I think it also starts for the person who's weary in doing the little things mm-hmm. to start to help you walk out of that. Being mm-hmm. thankful for little things in your yeah. life, um, for. Uh, just being grateful about uh, certain aspects of what you have, whether it's in your house, when you go for a walk, you see a a flower, you know, it can really start in very little things. Yeah, Yeah. well, thank you so much for that, George. Mm. If you'd like to hear more from George, go to reasons.org and search George Haraxon. Now it's time for Everyday Apologetics, where we talk about common questions that Christians might have. We're joined today by Dr. Leslie Wickman. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're super excited when we were reading your bio. I know I was like just fascinated by all that you've done in your life. I'm going to read through some of these. Let's see. You're a respected research scientist. You're an engineering con- consult an author, inspirational speaker. You've also been a competitive athlete. My <laughs> goodness. Let's see, you've played volleyball and women's professional tackle football. You have been in so many male-dominated mm. fields. What has that been like? What has your experience been like being a woman in male-dominated fields? Well, I have to say that there's still a lot of male dominance. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't really like the word chauvinism, but mm. you know, certainly male dominance mm-hmm. um, across a variety of arenas. Uh, certainly, uh, within science and faith, those mm-hmm. are two very heavily dominated areas. Mm-hmm. And when you bring them together, maybe all the more so. Right. Uh, yeah. So, um, in fact, one uh, researcher that I read not too long ago mm-hmm. was writing about um, kind of the the career space of science and religion, and right. they, they actually referred to it uh, for women as the double glass ceiling. Oh, interesting, so yeah. there's been kind of a traditional uh, glass ceiling for mm-hmm. women in STEM, mm-hmm. um, and there has also been a, a glass ceiling in the church uh, right. for women in religion and or religious positions. Right. And uh, so you put those together and it's kind of like if one glass ceiling doesn't get you, the other one might very well. Right. And so it's very hard for women to um, uh, make a career mm-hmm. out of you know bringing science and faith or science and religion together. Right. Well, you've certainly done that. And really the purpose of this conversation is to encourage women as they're watching or listening, encourage them to step into these fields of science and faith, especially as we're thinking now of this Thanksgiving season and we're thinking about encouraging one another, being thankful, um, giving gratitude. So I'm giving you gratitude for the work that you've done. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope that it would just be inspiring for 
for for others. So when we think about the field of science, what were some specific challenges maybe that um, that you faced as you were growing in your work in science? Right. So actually, for me, the first challenge that I encountered, I was fairly early on. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up in a Christian family, came to faith at an early age. Mm -hmm. um, my dad uh, was an engineer. My mom was a uh, nutritionist. Mm -hmm. So really, STEM was part of our lives. Yeah. Uh, my dad had a telescope growing up, and so we, he would take the telescope out in the backyard, and we'd look at the stars and the moon and planets from an early age, and and always with the understanding that God was the source behind mm. all of this that we were studying. And yet when I got into junior high school, I encountered my first atheist biology teacher. Mm -hmm who would say, you know, you might as well leave your faith at the door because what we're going to talk about in biology class will almost certainly contradict anything that you've oh, learned at church or Sunday school. And right. I, here I am, what, 12 years old in junior yeah. high, and I'm like, what do I do with that, you know? Right. So that was kind of my first kind of like, huh, not everybody thinks about this the way I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I, I look back on that as kind of a really challenging time because I just didn't know what to do with it. There was this kind of cognitive dissonance, right. you know. And, and uh, but at the same time, well, not at that moment in time, but years later, I can look back on that and be grateful that, mm -hmm. that I encountered that at the age that I did because it set me on the path from, you know, the time I was preteen mm -hmm. to kind of figure out how science and faith fit together. And so I've been at this for a yeah. very long time now. I love that. And I, I think absolutely that's the silver lining. I mean, what a difficult thing to face at 12 years old, but you pushed through and you're still continuing to explore yeah, science yeah. and faith in that relationship. What are some things that really kept you motivated? Because it's not only, again, within science, but also within um, being a Christian mm -hmm, in a mm -hmm. secular environment, how did you stay encouraged and how would you encourage others? Yeah, well, it was a real sense of calling, in fact, mm -hmm. you know, and I just felt like this is what God had designed me to do, you know, mm -hmm. and that's how he prepared me. And in my teaching career in academia, um, our students would often ask me, how have you kind of navigated your career? Mm -hmm. And um, and had the experiences and opportunities that you have. Mm -hmm. And so it forced me to kind of think more seriously about, you know, what had been my story, you mm -hmm. know. And, and so for me, it started actually when I was, gosh, only nine years old probably. I went to a, a Bible camp in Washington State, and there were missionaries speaking at this Bible camp, and I night after night would go back to my cabin and cry myself to sleep Aww. because I, I had this such a strong impression that God was calling me to a faraway mission field. Mm. And I just, I mean, here I am, nine years old, yeah. and it just sounded scary, yeah. you know, and I didn't want to leave home and go overseas and, you know, become a missionary. And, mm -hmm. and um, after several nights of that, I fully surrendered, and I just said, okay, Lord, whatever you want, your will be done. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was overcome with this amazing sense mm -hmm. of peace, just just peace that passes understanding, mm -hmm. you know? And I was, from that time on, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do whatever God calls me to. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I, that's exactly how I've lived my life all these years is whenever there's a fork in the road, go to God and say, which way do you want me to go? What do you want me to do next? And wait for his guidance. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I've navigated my career, yeah. my education, everything. And um, there's some takeaways that I've learned along the way. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that I share with my students is get to know yourself. Mm -hmm. You should know what you're good at. What are your talents? What are your skills? What are your gifts? Mm -hmm. And what are you passion? What are you passionate about? Mm -hmm. And then make a little Venn diagram. So the overlapping <laughs> circles, mm -hmm. right? So you've got the one circle that has your skills and your talents and mm -hmm. your gifts, and the other circle that overlaps with it that has your passions. Mm -hmm. And it's in the intersection of those two circles. That's your sweet spot. Yeah. Look for the the career path that. Um, satisfies both of those your uh, things that you're good at and you're passionate about right. because it's not a uni unified set right it's it's not two overlapping sets mm -hmm. of all things that we're all of us have things that we're good at that we hate doing mm -hmm. and we also have things that we love doing that we're no good at. right <laughs> right so you want to find that sweet spot right. um, where our passions and skills overlap and so that's yeah. honestly that's the best guidance that I can give to people that are still trying to figure those things out, along with um, asking God for guidance and uh, being committed to following him through the doors that he opens right. for you. Yeah, and I think that goes for anyone, not just the women Absolutely. who are watching, but for anyone really to stay focused there. But I, I like that you're focusing on women in particular yeah. to really encourage growth Absolutely. in these areas. Now, I do understand that you received a planning grant to work on the topic of encouraging women in science and yes. faith. So can you tell us oh a little gosh, bit about I'm that? I'm so, so yeah. grateful. Yes. <laughs> now I see the passion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is a grant that I've actually been working on mm -hmm. for about probably four years, oh, wow. and uh, developing the idea. And uh, so the, the grant is called Women in Science and Humanities, mm. um, Creating a Mentoring Community for Women at the Interface of Science and Religion. Mm. So I'm so excited about this yeah. because we're going to be able to explore uh, women's experiences yeah. in this science and religion space mm -hmm. and um, ask them what their felt needs are. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to meet with focus groups of women um, and, and have exploratory conversations with them to get at what their experience has been, what are their needs, what would mm -hmm. they like to see in a mentoring yeah. community, and, um, and then actually develop a program around that oh. to support women yeah. in that field and, and encourage young women mm -hmm. to get into the field. So it's a very exciting um, undertaking, and yeah. I can't wait to really get it rolling. So where can people go to find more information about this, this program? Right. So um, I have a website mm -hmm. uh, that's called starrynights.me. Mm -hmm. I, I actually set up my own nonprofit mm -hmm. called Starry Nights Incorporated. Mm -hmm. And the website for that, again, is starrynights.me. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can find information there as well as if you Google my name, Leslie mm -hmm. Wickman, um, you can find all kinds of different resources, in, including ways to get in touch with me to talk about it. Hello, Jeff Zwerink here. Welcome to Science Faith Connection, the segment of our show where we explore important scientific ideas and see how they relate to the truth of Christianity. Today I'm joined by Dr. Jim Painter, and we're going to be talking about celebrating and feasting.
Jim, it's good to have you here today. <laughs> it's good to be here, Jeff. Uh, you know, we're, we're in the holiday season. We've got uh, Thanksgiving come up. I know you're a nutritionist, right. so I'd love to just kind of get your thoughts on what do we do on the holidays? We want to celebrate, we want to eat, but it seems like you eat and that's not healthy. So <laughs> how do we look at that from a biblical perspective? You know, God, our God is really uh, someone who celebrates and there's these feasts all the way through the Old Testament, sometimes for days and weeks. And so he does want us to enjoy what we're doing. So I don't think it's a time when we're going into this feasting time of Thanksgiving and Christmas to say, well, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to sit here and be alone. That's not the idea. So how do we go through this process of feasting and rejoicing with people and not overdoing it? That's kind of the key. So I think that what people need to think about is what you do before that and what you do after that. Because we're going to eat with all this food there. We're going to eat a lot of food. And uh, so a lot of things I think about is fasting into or really cutting down eating as you go into the holiday. Hmm. And then when you get to the holiday, you're really hungry because you haven't been overeating. And then after the holiday, usually about the second day after Thanksgiving, we go, oh my goodness, I've been eating so much, I really can't eat anything more. And actually do that then. You know, our body doesn't want to eat anymore and then stop it and just go for a while without eating. You know, that's, that's fascinating because one of the tensions I've had as I've thought about, you know, how do we eat more is that often it'll come in and it'll take these foods that we enjoy. You know, I, I, I've worked really hard to make the dinner pl table a place where my family wants to be because just right. lots of good conversations happen there. Right. If you make the foods so that it's like, yeah, I just don't want to be there, you're going to impact on that. So it sounds like there are ways to do that, you know, especially on the holidays where you're having the feast, enjoying it, but it's really, it's about the, it's about what happens before and after, not so much that day, if I'm getting what you're saying. I think that's really true. And so one of the things you can do as you're going through it is eat this, not that. And so, you know, there's things that I like, like milkshakes, and I really could have them three times a day. I just <laughs> really think I could. I had to test it sometime and see if I could do that. But then I can make this fruit smoothie that has three or four fruits in it. It has, you know, really no sugar in it. It has a non-nutritive sweetener. It might have some cream in there, from soy milk. <clears throat> and I think that's almost as good. It's not quite as good mm -hmm. because I think just the ice cream would be better. Mm -hmm. But I can get close to it and still really enjoy what I'm doing and feasting with the thing that's a little bit different. So it sounds like not only can you, okay, so you eat a little bit too much that day, that's not a big deal in some sense. The fellowship and the, the celebration right. seems to almost be more important than that. What are, you know, you, you mentioned about the, you know, put, making a fruit smoothie instead of a milkshake. What are some other ideas uh, that you have that work for there? And, and does that mean we need to do that with all the food we're doing? Because we make a uh, phenomenal strawberry pretzel casserole. <laughs> we call it a salad. It's really a dessert. We have it with dinner. But yeah. you can't do too much to that without making it taste really different. You know, and it's kind of dangerous to take the thing the family really is expecting. <clears throat> we know what this is like. It's really good. And you change it a little bit, and people go, ah, what happened? That's not, that's not what we always have. That's, that doesn't taste right. You go, oh, well, I, I changed it. Oh, why, why did you change that one? You know? <clears throat> Don't mess with the thing that has historically been the special dessert or the special thing that you have that tastes so good. Uh, fine. If it's, if it's not the best thing, fine. It's one thing. Enjoy it. Enjoy the fellowship around it. And, and don't try and change that one thing. Change other things. 
bring other foods in. Because a lot of people have foods that I don't really tend to eat at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, but they're really good. Bring one of those in and make one of those really healthy. And then it's brand new to your family and they, they don't know what it is. And so they go, oh, that's pretty good. Well, good. So I want to kind of loop back to the idea of, of feasting, because again, that's that's a little bit countercultural in our nutrition or our, our health-based society. You know, there's this kind of pervasive message: everything you eat's got to be good for you. Um, eating too much is bad. Why do you suppose that God talks so much about feasting? What is it that's important there? And is there any uh, data to back up the importance of that that you're aware of today? Well, you know, there's lots of good reasons for feasting. Something goes good, we want to celebrate it. You know, around here at Reasons to Believe, you do a really good job of celebrating things. <laughs> People have been here for long enough, or a birthday. And so that's really important to, to spend some time and think about what people have done, what their lives have done, and then celebrate it and, and feast over it because it's something great that God has done through a person. And so feast. But then in America, we tend to feast all the time. So it's like you feast, 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 and then so when you have a big feast come up, well, I've been eating everything I wanted for the last six months, as much as I wanted, and I weigh 300 pounds. And so the idea to celebrate with the body of Christ, with family, with friends, is great because it recognizes something that somebody or some group of people have done, and you take a moment to sit back in that and relish it and go, thank God for what they did in this ministry and this way to help us all out. And uh, so many times we're such busy, 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 we're running, running, moving all the time. Mm. And God really wants us to stop every once in a while, think about what just happened, and just go back through all of those things and enjoy it and, and remind everybody else to enjoy what happened in that situation. Yeah, just your description there reminds me that uh, we tend to think of our bodies as physical, and clearly there's a physical component. But when we look at what Christianity says, we're also a union of physical and spiritual. It sounds like the celebration is emphasizing that relational spiritual component that we have as well. Do you, do you know? I mean, is, is that a just a, well, this is what the Bible says, or is there any information you have that you're aware of that points to what we physically what we do impacts our health but where how we spiritually impact impacts our physical health as well there's just there's many examples of how that whole thing fits together uh, but just think about when you're having a, a like a birthday and you're celebrating someone's birth it's been another year and you're enjoying the fact that they're here that they're with us there's so many connections between our brain and our in our every part of our body they work together hand in glove and so when someone has done something good, lived another year, has some kind of a special thing in their lives, we all take the time to sit back, focus on that, and rejoice over what God has done through them. And since we are just one being, it really does affect us. If we're nervous and worried and anxious and, uh, and, and we're always run, 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 then we, we lose the ability of, that our brain can do to our body just by rejoicing and giving thanks. It really can affect physically who we are, taking a moment to step back and rejoice over some good thing that happened. So I'm going to kind of go back, I appreciate that, and kind of go back to this idea that 
feasting is a good thing. We want to be able to celebrate uh, right. you know, eating a little bit too much. What are some practices we can put in place that when these feasts come around, not only are we doing them in a healthy way, but we're doing them in a way where we can really enjoy them? I know you, you've mentioned fasting beforehand or eating, eating less beforehand right. and then doing so afterwards. Are there other things that we can do that help us enjoy the feast even more? You know, we've done so many things over the years with my students, and we've published I don't know how many, where we make a little bit of a change. <clears throat> Just a smaller plate, a smaller glass, a smaller bowl, a smaller spoon, a smaller serving spoon, people eat less. And, and people go, I won't eat less. I'm going to eat the same amount. I'm gonna, okay, let's do it. And so we give them smaller plates, bowls, glasses, cups, spoons, and uh, we, we go through the thing, and sure enough, they ate less than the people that had the big plate, the big bowl, the big spoon, and, and it just happens time and time again. So we can, before we go into this, have smaller things. With, with less there, you end up getting full sooner and you stop eating. So just having small utensils, small plates, bowls, glasses, cups, uh, you'll eat less and you won't know it. And you'll enjoy it just as much and you haven't eaten as much. So any final thoughts or comments about uh, how to think about going into these holiday seasons to where we do things that are healthy for our body and also for our spiritual growth? You know, it's always good as we know we're going to go into this big holiday eating and everybody's getting excited about all the pies and the cakes and the cookies. Two, you know, really work at it ahead of time where we're looking at what we're eating, take a census of what is before us, and consciously eat less because we know we're going to be in there during that holiday just pigging out. So think about it ahead of time before you get into it and start eating less. When you're eating less, you get into the time of feasting, it's even better because you're hungry. You know, it's a bummer when you're kind of pig out and you think, oh, I'm not even hungry. <laughs> you know, it's like, so you almost have to prepare yourself to go into this time of eating with a time that you don't eat as much and you'll enjoy it more. Well, thanks, Jim. I really appreciate your comments. You know, when you look at the history and in scripture, particularly, God set up these feasts. In fact, he told the Israelites to prepare for these feasts. And part of that was recognizing you're going to have a big feast. You're going to enjoy the fellowship. So eating well leading up to it. You know, I've, I find Jim's comments just fascinating because they highlight that not only do we have this physical nature, we have this spiritual nature, and God wants us to nourish both of those. You know, if you find what Jim has said interesting, I would encourage you to go to reasons.org, look up Jim Painter. He's got a great page there with lots of resources that helps you know how to nourish our bodies so that we can serve God and honor him well. We hope this episode has helped equip you to share your faith with compassion and confidence. You know, I really love being able to interview these scholars and mm -hmm. to to hear what they have to say on these topics. Hearing from George, really understanding the fruit of the Spirit as a, a bunch of pieces that come together to demonstrate that fruit. And then to right. really, especially my favorite part, is encouraging people who are growing weary and to mm -hmm. carry each other's burdens. I really love that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And personally, I loved hearing from Leslie Wickman. She is such a really cool person. Mm -hmm. Having her in studio here with us was so fun, learning more about her. She's been a rocket scientist, a pro athlete, like all these things. Yeah. She's super talented and also such a kind heart. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know what? We hope that you will find us and subscribe to the show. Search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at 2819show. And if you would like the audio version of the show, we're available on your favorite podcast app. Just search Reasons to Believe Podcast. See you next week. See ya.